Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. David Lally here, producer of the show, and I'd like to congratulate Brian on the success of his new book, The Emigrant Edge. It's now a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller. So if you haven't gotten a copy yet, do yourself a favor, get down to your local or online bookseller. In the meantime, here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Very, very excited for all of you folks today. I have a very special guest who has helped millions of people change their lives. Dr. Joel Furman is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. He is a six times New York Times bestselling author. He also has the most successful PBS special in history. Uh, he's a regular guest on the Dr. Oz Show. Joel has developed a methodology towards eating raw foods and nutrient-dense food, the nutritarian diet, as he calls it. Brilliant, brilliant man. I've had a chance with my bride to attend one of his uh, week-long conferences out there in Florida, which was a major, major impact on how our family eats and how we go about our nutrition. And it's had a huge impact on our audiences. We've brought him to Mastermind, and one of our most popular speakers we've ever had at our conferences. So, Joel, thank you so much for joining today. It's a real pleasure. Oh, thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here with you today. You bet. Well, we have a lot to get into. You have done so many remarkable things, and your approach towards nutrition is remarkable. You've helped so many people not only lose weight, but when I was at your conference, and I can say this anecdotally, I know you're not allowed to say a lot of things now in publications and print and so on and so forth, but I met person after person after person at your conference, hundreds of people who had, were with you for 15 or 18 years that had reversed diabetes, heart disease reversed, many cancers. I met one gentleman who was a 400-pound alcoholic who was now 150-pound, looked like he should be a yoga instructor. It was time and time and time again, and seeing really was believing. So there's a lot of folks who obviously know you who are listening here today, but perhaps if you could give an overview today of your philosophy towards nutrition and how it's so different than what is often taught. Well, first of all, I want to say that my underlying philosophy is that these diseases that afflict Americans don't have to happen. Mm. And it's ever so more tragic because nobody has to have a heart attack or a stroke. We don't have to have half our population becoming demented and getting cancer. Mm. So these are diseases of nutritional stupidity and ignorance. And I'm saying right now that nutritional science has made such radical advances in the last couple of decades where we can give people the information so they can control their health, live to be 100 years old in great health with full mental faculties, with no heart attacks and no cancers. I'm not saying we can wipe out cancer 100%, but mm-hmm. certainly we can probably wipe, bring that, wipe it out by 90%, and heart disease can be wiped away by 99.5%. I'm saying 995 because some people have such advanced disease already that it's probably too late to save some of those because they're so far... Because a person dies every 10 minutes, every few minutes. We have people dying every minute in America of heart disease. But in any case, heart disease and strokes are the leading cause of death. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to happen. We have more people than ever before having strokes before the age of 45 today. Mm-hmm. And this diet style that Americans eat is killing them. And then the other thing is that nutritional excellence therapeutically is more effective than drugs for treating almost any disease that you can mention, mm-hmm. whether it's psoriasis we get our psoriasis patients completely and 100% recovered through nutrition, whether it's psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, 
like you said, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, chronic headaches, fatigue, and even mental illness and depression Ooh. are linked primarily to the food people eat. So what I'm saying is that people have no idea on the overwhelming implications that poor nutrition has and how destructive it is to our society, creating a medical health care crisis. And, you know, of course, I'm very grateful to the opportunities I've had to reach so many thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people to change their life for the better. And like you're saying, the rewards of seeing people transform their health for the better is just, just phenomenal. So we paint the picture here. So you still have a practice in New Jersey, is that correct? That's right. I practice in New Jersey, but not full-time because I'm sure. busy lecturing. And oh, no writing, doubt. You know? No doubt. But your yeah. business is still there. You have the conferences. Right. You have the shows. You have the programs and products. You have food lines. You have all these different dynamics. If somebody's hearing it for the first time, it sounds so crazy. It's like, how is this guy right and everybody else is wrong? But it seems like there's so many different dynamics. But ultimately, the foods we're eating today, the processed foods we're eating today, seem to be leading us to such problems health-wise. And I know you got a brand new book coming out, Fast Food Genocide, which is a crazy good title. I love it. Can you talk to us a little bit about that whole concept of why we're eating ourselves into an early grave? Absolutely. You have brought up so many points there. I'll maybe address a few of them. Sure. Um, number one, right now we've gotten to the point where right now the majority of calories eaten in America are from processed foods, refined foods, and fast food. And the, let me just briefly define fast food. It's, you know, certainly it's synthetic commercially foods that are in fast food restaurants, but also convenience stores and supermarkets and things in bags and boxes, crackers and rice cakes and breakfast bars and chips and soda and candy and, and donuts and cookies and all the things and chips and all the things Americans eat that can be eaten fast, digested fast, absorbed into the bloodstream fast. They're highly flavored. They contain synthetic ingredients. And they don't just make cause us to be, have cancer and diabetes. They're destructive to the human brain. Mm. Two servings of commercial baked goods or fast foods a week are linked to more than doubling the risk of depression. Mm. They decrease your intelligence and ability to learn in school. They decrease your job performance. They lead to other mental illnesses, and they're addictive. By addicting, I mean they cause cravings, and when you don't eat them, they make you feel ill, shaky and weak. Mm. So we're driving, and of course, causing dementia, kidney failure, diabetes, and then, you know, people who live in urban areas where they eat more fast food have seven times the incidence of stroke before age 45. Mm. And people who eat fast food regularly have 10 times the risk of heart disease. But even one serving of French fries a week has increased risk of breast cancer by 26% and prostate cancer by 30%. That's just one serving a week. We're talking about some tremendously powerful negative influences. As you mentioned earlier, that people are bombarded with information. Mm -hmm. And I've outlined what I consider to be the ideal way to eat for people to extend human lifespan and to make it taste great, too, and to make it doable for people, and mm -hmm. the obstacles that make it more difficult for them. But what I'm saying right now is, why accept what I'm saying if another guy's saying something else? And you, know, you mentioned earlier that, how do we give some information more credence? And the answer is the type of studies we're looking at and what these studies show. Because you know, I can show you a short-term study that goes on for a year or two that looks at soft endpoints like weight loss or cholesterol or your blood pressure or glucose levels, and they might look positive. I may feed people Twinkies, you know, there's 500 calories a day of Twinkies and nothing else, but they'll look better because they'll lose some weight. Right. But if you follow them for a couple of decades, they'd start dying of cancer and becoming demented. Mm. You know, so the answer is we give certain studies, you know, and I've, of course, review and study more than 20,000 studies, and it's my job to be aware of every nutritional study ever published and to report on this in a way that make people aware of all the data and where the overwhelming amount of evidence leads, but what I'm saying right now is studies that follow thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people, and go on for decades, 
15 to 30 years. Look at hard endpoints like death and cancer and heart attack rates. These are the studies that we give more credence to because mm. it's a hard endpoint like death. And we say, well, a person follows this type of diet. Let's look at them between the ages of 50 and 65 years old. What if they follow for 20, 30 years? How much of them die off? What age do they die at? What about the blue zone? What are the, mm-hmm. what the centenarians eating? So, in other words, it's a very comprehensive look mm. at what's best for humans. And we do that. We see all the data points in the same direction. There's really not that many controversial issues here. Right. But the main controversy is the powerful effect and the miraculous self-healing capacity of the body when fed in an ideal fashion. Can we talk about that for a second? Because in your book, Eat to Live, which was my first introduction to you, where I got exposed to your philosophies and also great recommendations and recipes and how to eat, and we'll get into G-bomb salads here in a minute and all that kind of good stuff. But can you share a little bit, maybe there's some folks listening who have someone in their family who's struggling with one of these diseases, and you could give them some hope. Maybe you could share a couple of stories of some clients either that you featured in your books or maybe even people like I mentioned at the seminars in your practice who've had these massive turnarounds. You know, there's so many thousands of patients and with my exposure on television, right. there's literally thousands of people who send me their letters and, and thanks and you know stories. So you can actually go to drfirman.com mm-hmm. and click on the success stories link and put in psoriasis or put in asthma uh-huh. put in headaches or put in heart disease and you'll see a whole bunch of people who you know got rid of their psoriasis or got rid of their headache whatever it is but the you know I think it's one of the most very rewarding cases of people who were told they you know they need urgent angioplasty bypass surgery and it's life threatening uh-huh. and they come to me and I say you know you're not unstable once you put those stents in then you have a foreign body in your heart the rest of your life and then you got to be on clot busting drugs like aspirin and Plavix which increase risk of hemorrhagic stroke and then you're going to have this you know so these things have been shown in elective situations not to extend human lifespan. People putting in stents and don't have lower risk of future heart attacks and don't live longer. So it's these people. It's amazing because I've seen people that are almost unstable. They can hardly walk without a lot of chest pain. And within a month, their chest pains are gone. Mm. Within a couple of months, their blood pressure is back to normal. They don't need medications anymore. You know, I've had even people who had angioplasty and bypass who were sent home to die because they had so much pain and they were so severe, they couldn't do anything more for them anymore. And these people found me, they were on the program, they lost weight, they got rid of their heart problems, they're living, they're thriving, and so many people of them are now, it's, it's 15, 20 years later, I've been in practice for almost three decades now, and I have people in their 90s just thriving when they were very sickly in their 60s. Yes, I met one gentleman who had a, a major heart who was basically sent home to die in his 60s, and I met him, and I think he was 89 years of age and looked like he could do an Irish jig. Yeah, well, thank you. And then, of course, the people like the lupus, which is such a horrible disease that can even kill people and Mm. cause kidney failure. And I've had young people, teenagers and young girls and women, who are literally going into kidney failure. One girl, she was a teenager in high school, on the national renal transplant list waiting for a new kidney. Mm. And she made a recovery. Her kidney function went back to normal again. And to see these people like this get well from lupus, and nobody even tells them. They didn't ever have an opportunity. And I affect such a relatively small number of people with this condition, and they come down with these serious illnesses. Instead of going right on this program, a nutritarian program to reverse the disease and see what we could do, instead nobody tells them about this. They wait till they go on advanced kidney failure, and they put them in hospitals and put them on drugs, dangerous drugs. And so with almost every disease... The answer is, you know, surgical procedures, more medications, and, right. and of course, the medications for diabetes and heart disease and high blood pressure and cholesterol lowering, they function as a permission slip. Mm. It makes people think they're okay because their numbers look better. 
Right. And then they take the drugs and they don't change their diet. They don't lose the weight and then they die of a heart attack or they have some horrible tragedy happens to them because nobody told them they could have gotten well. And I'm saying right now that nutritional excellence is a hundred times more effective at preventing future heart attacks than would be taking medications. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the nutritarian diet here because when you mention all the things that are processed, I'm actually looking at, I'm in the studio, I got a glass wall, I got all, my whole production team in there, and you named off, I think you named off their entire lunch for this week here. We Cookies and crackers and this and that and the other. So oftentimes you're positioned as the no fun guy, right? So let's talk about the opposite of that, which is what are the great foods that people can eat that actually make them healthy? Right. It's a lot of fun to be in a hospital having people putting tubes in the orifice of your body and being in our nursing home able to feed yourself. And the, well, no, so the food doesn't taste that great once you're in the coffin. You know? <laughs> I want my chips. It's on the gravestone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have so many patients like that who call me from the emergency room or the ICU and say, I should have listened to you, Dr. Vernon. But anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, in, and I published a study in the Nutrition Journal more than 750 people in the study that showed that they liked the taste of eating this way after six months, of course, mm-hmm. as much or better than their prior diet. What I'm saying right now is you don't just like eating differently. You people eat the way they like the best. Right. They don't like a new way of eating right away, but I showed and I proved this, that taste buds improve their sight and their smell and their taste improves with doing this. They enjoy the recipes and their taste changes, so they do like eating this way. Mm-hmm. And the initial feeling where there's a little bit of toughness of detoxification or withdrawal symptoms from your addictive foods and mm-hmm. you're, you're not liking the food as much is very temporary. You know, a nutritarian loves eating and likes food just as much as other people do. And I don't even like the ice creams people eat. They're too sweet and I could taste the chemicals in them. But let me just give you a great vanilla ice yeah. cream that I use in my house all the time. It's just you take a couple of frozen bananas, maybe two frozen bananas for two people. I put just a handful of of macadamia nuts in there. You could use walnuts or other nuts, but I found macadamia nuts make it really super creamy. I put in a heaping teaspoon of real ground vanilla bean. Mm. So it's vanilla bean powder. And we have some delicious flavored vanilla bean powders, Tahitian vanilla bean powder. Throw that in there too. Maybe a splash of almond milk just to make it blend a little better if it's a little too hard. And I push that into the high-powered blender, make this creamy ice cream. It's so delicious. If I want to make it into a chocolate ice cream, I could use a tablespoon or maybe two tablespoons of unsweetened cocoa powder. And then because the cocoa powder makes it a little more bitter, I'll add a sweetener like a date. Mm. See, I won't use honey and maple syrup and sugar because they're too high glycemic. I'll use a whole date because the bioflavonoids and the fibers slow the absorption of glucose. And these foods taste incredible. Whether we're talking about ice cream or whether we're talking about chocolate custard or a, or a chocolate cake made with, you wouldn't believe it because we make it with zucchini and carrots and beets. Mm-hmm. with cocoa powder and pineapple and banana, and people say, that's the best cake I've ever ate in my life. And people are looking at it and go, that's going to taste good with those yeah. ingredients in it. But, but it, it's unbelievable how well, good it would make it. Well, I had that experience at your retreat in St. Augustine, yeah. and my wife is, uh, you know, I grew up in the Irish household, you know, meat and potatoes. My mother, when she was feeding you breakfast, was thinking about lunch, and when during lunch she was talking about dinner and found her identity in preparing foods. And, you know, my wife, Beverly, became aware of you several years before she converted me over to the program. And, you know, I remember going to your retreat, and I'm seeing the descriptions on some of these things. Uh, this is pistachio desserts or this and that. And I'm like, oh, my God, that can't be good, you know. And then you taste it, and it's like, wow, this tastes great. And it's kind of a shock to the system. Can we talk about the G-bomb salad? In our home, smoothies in the morning, Dr. Furman smoothies. i got to thank you. All my kids are all athletes. We have a Dr. Furman smoothie first thing in the morning in our Vitamix machine, right, and put all the natural ingredients in there. But um, G-bomb salads, that's really been 
the great way for you to teach people and to train people how to eat nutritionally. That's right. Maybe you could tell them what it is and how beneficial it is. That's correct. I mean, the word G-bombs, people want to know that word, G-bombs, G-B-O-M-B-S, because those are the foods that people have on the tip of their tongue, right fresh in their mind, that have the most powerful association with wiping out cancer. Mm. When you eat these foods regularly, almost every day, and you include them in your diet, and it stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. Mm-hmm. And we're talking here about particularly flax seeds or chia seeds. But for example, flax seeds have been shown just a little touch, just a third of a milligram a day which for women who have breast cancer, decrease the risk of recurrence and death from cancer by over 70%. Jeez. So we're talking here powerful effects from even a small amount in your diet. But I recommend that people eat a whole tablespoon of ground flax seeds a day, not a third of a milligram, which mm. is less than a fifth of a teaspoon, which is only about you know, a fifth of a teaspoon. So we're talking here about tremendous power you know, mushrooms have been shown to reduce risk of breast cancer, for example, by 64% from one 10-gram serving a day. That's the size of your thumb. Mm. Onions, you know, a quarter cup of chopped onions a day reduce risk of cancers between 55 and 88%, depending on what cancers you look at. When you look at any of the studies in any one of these foods individually, the effects are amazing. But what if you put together a, a diet style with a portfolio of all these powerful anti-cancer foods, and that's what we're doing in a large study with thousands of women right now. I have signed up in a nutritarian women's health study with thousands of women who are eating their G-bombs and following a nutritarian diet every day to show that they can have dramatic protection against cancer. So we already have a lot of data already. We're always collecting more data, doing more studies. And, And so what we're getting at when you said the salad, yes, one of my mantras is to tell people I want them to eat a large salad every day, once a day as a main dish. And in the salad, you put the raw greens and you put mushrooms should be cooked. You could put some beans in a salad if you choose. You could just eat the beans in a chili or in a separate dish mm-hmm. or in a soup. Mm-hmm. But in any case, you have those maybe scallion or onion raw and the green vegetables raw. And you could put mushrooms in the soup or mushrooms in a separate dish, but they could be cooked. See, what I'm saying here is that the beans and the mushrooms are cooked. Mm. Beans and mushrooms every day and raw greens and raw onion or scallion every day. That you know, um, combination of those two cooked and two raw have a tremendous effect on thickening and building the microbiome. In other words, we build these healthy bacteria, the most favorable bacteria in the gut, and you thicken, and this thickened microbiome from the raw and the cooked, this combination of mushrooms and onions and, and beans, it thickens the microbiome, so it slows the absorption of glucose. So when you have your oatmeal in the morning, or your smoothie, or your banana, or your mango, the glycemic effect of that food is reduced because you regularly eat these other four foods that thicken the microbiome, so the glucose gets absorbed more slowly from other foods that are not, and even in a different meal. Hmm. So it makes you lose weight. They have anti-angiogenesis effects, which prevent you from putting fat on the body. They don't let fat, because they retard angiogenesis. And certain foods promote angiogenesis with most fat storage, like the foods that promote insulin, but these foods have anti-angiogenic effects. So it's saying it's not just about calories, it's about nutrients. And mm-hmm. nutrients fuel your body peripheral to prevent fat storage, and they fuel the central nervous system to prevent oxidation of the brain, which not just make you control your appetite better, but making better decisions, mm-hmm. making you happier, mm-hmm. and making you more productive. I've known you for a lot of years. You're such a passionate advocate. This is your life's work. You've dedicated yourself to it. And we can talk a little bit about how you got into it originally, but how does it make you feel when like as much success as you've had PBS, Dr. Oz, all the books, thousands of examples, thousands of test cases, 
but you're like a salmon swimming against the river here. I mean, medicine, the National Heart Association, whatever, many of these different organizations are not in lockstep with what you're teaching. Does it make you crazy or does it just keep driving you further to be more passionate? I think both. Mm. You know, one thing I'm very grateful and very, you know, personally rewarded from being able to help so many people and just can't believe when I decided to do this, mm-hmm. you know, 35, 40 years ago to go to medical school, that I've ever been able to reach so many people. I would have been happy just in my medical practice helping the people I could help. Because mm-hmm. if they help a few people, you feel good about it. Yeah. But the fact that I've been able to reach millions of people and change their lives is just a so phenomenal. I never expected to have such a big effect on society as I've had. So mm-hmm. one thing I'm tremendously excited and grateful for this opportunity I've had. And there was a lot of luck involved with having the opportunity from PBS to be able to have my own television shows on PBS and mm-hmm. to reach so many people. On the same time, you keep wanting to do what you can do because it's rewarding to have this type of job. I love it. Well, there's a lot of people with vested interests in industries that you know, what you're teaching is kind of contrary to their industry, right? So I'm sure you've taken a lot of flack and a lot of heat. The pharmaceutical companies, the food companies. I mean, you're, you're probably not on a lot of Christmas card lists, right? <laughs> well, I'm sure the food companies spend billions of dollars each year trying to confuse people yeah. and tell them that this is okay, you know, and to confuse the issue. Eggs are now good for you and fat is now good. And so, there, of course, there's a lot of nonsense out there. But, you know, I have to say that right now we do have significant problems in our country and in urban areas, we have vulnerable populations that are living on mostly fast food and convenience foods. Right. And it's destructive to their mental well-being. Mm. And it's destructive to their coming out of poverty and being educated. It affects your ability to do well in school. And I'm, and I'm really I'm thinking that we can do so much as a people if we all work together. Mm-hmm. So by whether it's celebrities, educators, teachers, politicians, people like you, and the more we can get this message out, we can just have such a much greater effect on people. Because what I'm saying is something very profound and large. I'm even saying that the biggest association between drug abuse and criminal behavior is the eating of candy in childhood. Mm-hmm. And that relationship between feeding your kids candy in childhood and illegal drug use as an adult is better association than poverty and drug use, mm. poverty and crime. Better association with bad parenting or lack of parenting and crime. The strongest association is people eating candy. And we have these areas of the country where we have people having no access to fresh produce. Right. And they're not eating the pound. You know, we're talking about maximizing lifespan and living to 100 years old, which we can do it and we're going to do it. But the point is there's so many people who are dying before the age of 40 and whose brains are being destroyed. And people are blamed for things that's a result of their environment when they don't have access to get these foods. And I'm thinking right now, I just know that I can really extend my mission mm-hmm. and try to have this opportunity available for all Americans. Well, there's a lot of people who aren't even aware. There's a lot of inner cities in America where you might find four or five McDonald's fried chicken places, all the different fast food joints, but there's never going to be a Whole Foods because Whole Foods was so expensive. You know, there's a lot of people who have limited access to fresh produce, which is interesting. A lot of inner cities now are starting to see these farmers' markets sprout up on the weekends and things like that, which is cool. There's a lot of people doing good, a lot of people trying to undo the damage, but making people aware of the problems, know that fast food kills people, it destroys their brains, that even... When you eat fast food four times a week, the risk of dying from heart disease goes up by 80%. Mm. Even in the World Health Organization now declaring processed meats and grilled meats and barbecued meats a class one carcinogen, the same as asbestos and cigarette smoke. We're talking about cooking foods in oil, which cause rancid compounds, which are carcinogenic and mutagenic, which means if you eat it, it could damage your offspring, making your children have problems before they're even born from the way you eat foods. We're talking about you know urban populations 
with seven times the risk of stroke before the age of 45. We're talking about a whole new businesses of stroke centers and nursing homes opening up for people who are teenagers and, and young people who are having strokes and having their brains go bad from eating fast food. So I'm saying right now is that we have to get the population to learn this information. We have to work on this together. And mm-hmm. so I'm feeling more motivated than ever before to educate our population, to know how effective nutrition can be to solve what, may, sure. what ails our nation. Yeah. And people don't even see it as a contributory to mental illness and depression, which is the major factor there. So if we get after the root cause, we've got a chance. Now, you know, you know, we have the largest small business coaching company in America, and we're all about helping people change their behaviors over time in their businesses, in their finances, to go produce business and economic success. So let's say you're talking to somebody, they come to you today. Let's say they're 50 years of age. They're carrying 25 pounds too much. They've tried different things. They've tried to eat salads, but then they're inconsistent. They're on the go. They're living life in America. Probably too much on the plate, too much on their schedule, too much stress at work. So let's just say you take a 50-year-old man or woman. They're 25 pounds overweight. They've got inconsistent eating habits. How would you get them over time kind of weaned off the bad stuff and onto the good stuff? Well, first of all, the first thing I want to do is make them an expert intellectually. Okay. In other words, by telling them to do something, giving some advice, it's not going to work. Because I've tested this out with people. They've got to understand what causes food addictions and cravings. Mm-hmm. They've got to understand what they can achieve and how to achieve it. And I even when I wrote Eat to Live, you know, a dozen years ago, whatever, I used to say, I read in the first chapter of the book, I said, don't make a decision on what to eat. Don't turn to the recipes and start cooking the food. Mm-hmm. Don't go on the diet. Mm-hmm. Finish reading the book first before you make up your mind. Mm-hmm. Finish reading the booklet before you make this commitment, and I want an ironclad commitment with a 100% guarantee you're going to follow my advice. Mm. But before you give me that commitment, read all the information first. Right. Because if you don't understand the nature of food addiction and how to remove addiction and how to remove emotional overeating, we don't want people to fail. We want people to do it, so it's like quitting smoking. Mm-hmm. We want you to come up with a plan that when you really decide to quit, it's going to work and you're not going to go back to cigarettes again. It's the same thing here. We want this plan to work. We want to retrain their taste buds. Sure, we want them to have a salad every day. Sure, I want them to make a, a vegetable bean soup on the weekend and aliquot it out into 10 different containers they can grab and take to work with them. Sure, I want them to you know, have the steel cut oats with the flax seeds and the walnuts and the blueberries in the, you know, in the morning. I want them to make a smoothie or have a, you know, I could tell them exactly what to eat to maximize their health. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily going to be a win-win by telling them what to eat because they have to know more information. They have to know why they're eating these foods. Mm. They have to know how, how it's going to affect them biochemically. They have to know they're going to probably feel worse the first week they're doing this because they don't know all the information. The first time they feel bad, they're going to give it up. Right. And they're going to have to know the negativity, what to do when a person says to you, what are you eating that way? You're just living on rabbit food? Who would want to live like that? I'd rather be dead. Mm-hmm. You've got to know how to address people. In other words, they really have to know more to make sure they succeed. And that's, of course, it's, it sounds self-serving that I'm saying, read my book. Yeah. But, of course, I have to respect the fact that making these radical changes is difficult for people. Sure. And food is powerfully addicting, and people need help in achieving this. But any effort they give towards this and any effort they give toward learning this subject matter is more than worth it. This gives you back tremendous reward, tremendous power to affect change in people you care about, better performance in your work, mm-hmm. more mental concentration, a happier life, clarity of thought better attitude, the ability to stay physically active, enjoy your life into your later years, and not have your mental faculties or your body deteriorate. Right. I still, I'm in my mid-60s. I love sports. I play singles tennis. I snow ski and do moguls, and I do, you know, the point is you can enjoy your life so much more, and so I think that I do want people to embrace this and learn more about it. So become it. an expert. You find out what causes food addictions, what emotional overeating looks like. What would be the next step? Now that I've become an expert, you mentioned this ironclad commitment. Is that... The next thing is once I know, now I make a decision. Would that be your next step? 
I think so, but it's also helpful to recruit some local support in your community or okay. set up with a community or group, or yeah. it might be a group on my website in the Member Support Center of people like who could support you, or it might be your own family, might be your support structure. It might be some friends who are doing it. It might yeah. be a buddy who's also going to do it with you. It's always good not to be, feel you're alone. Right. So get someone on board with you. Somebody on board with you. That's right, because if you're trying to quit smoking, come off cocaine, you don't want people to be negative. You want your positive support system around you mm-hmm. to make this change easier, and then it becomes more fun. And then, of course, the next step is that this leads to greater social engagement and social positivity. And, and then you're an example for others because, you know, we say put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And the last part of that equation is that, well, now you're a living example of great health for other people. And you've gotten rid of your extra 25 pounds. And you've got rid of your blood pressure medications. Mm-hmm. And you totally can't have a heart attack now because your cholesterol and blood pressure are great without medications and you're slim. Mm-hmm. But now this is where the real reward comes in because now you're an influencer. Mm-hmm. Now people listen to you. Now like rays of light, you're able to affect that positive effects on people around you. And people respect you more because you're walking the talk and you can be an example and have a better effect on them, which is also mm-hmm. tremendously rewarding. And, you know, I've launched so many people into really feeling that they're more productive and, and happier because your own personal satisfaction in life has a lot to do with your ability to influence others in a positive fashion, have goodwill for other people. Nice. So become an expert. We're going to get someone on board with us, and that lead ultimately to the great social interaction. What would be your next step? Be happy. Enjoy your life. Right. How many people you know whose life revolves around medical care, going to doctors, taking drugs, and getting tortured by the medical profession, right. and living in fear, too? It sets you free. You're free to accomplish things in your life, to have a balance in your life yeah. between family and exercise and work and play and fun. It gives you a much better ability to have a well-balanced life when you're not sick and being worried about being sick all the time. When somebody's starting the nutritarian lifestyle, right, they're not going to do it perfect to begin with, right? But let's say someone starts out and they have a smoothie in the morning, they get a G-bomb salad, they have one of these other, you know, very cool dishes you have in the evening, and they do that four out of seven days. Are they winning or are they a loser? How do you describe that? It depends on the person because some people, that's great. You know, some people love that slow approach and yep. eventually turns great for them. It's the best way for them to do it. But other people, their food addictions are so powerful mm. that they go off and eat something poorly. It could trigger them into a binge or trigger them into a whole week mm. of bad eating and their life goes up and down. So it's important for people. That's what I'm saying about learning more. They have to know where they fit into what type of problems they have. And some people's food addictions are so strong. Mm. It's like going to giving the alcoholic more alcohol or going back to giving a person more cocaine. They go back and they start to become a cocaine addict again. Mm. But some people just need to be immersed and they need to jump in with both feet. Right. You know, when you go up to the justice of the peace of the religious person to get married, they don't say, you know, you're going to give this a try and at the first <laughs> problem, you're going to just quit. Right. They make you make a commitment. And for some people, making that commitment to do it 100% for the first six weeks is the best thing for them because they break the chains of the addictions. Mm. And they don't want to smoke anymore. They don't want to eat candy anymore. They don't want to have ice cream anymore. They don't want to eat fried foods anymore because we've retrained their taste buds and they're feeling so great now. And so later on, they can be a little less strict. But at the beginning, they need to be really mm. strict to break those chains. Mm. But, so that, I have to say it really varies from person to person. Sure. So typically, if we were drawing an arc, right, somebody gets excited, they've read Eat to Live, or they're going to get your new book, Fast Food Genocide, and you've got some great stuff in there we'll talk about. And they make a decision. Okay, they've read the information. They've got a partner, a friend on board with them, an accountability buddy. They draw a line in the sand, and off they go. They've gone away from the stuff that produces all the negative behaviors and the cycle of addiction. And again, I know this will vary from person to person. But let's say in that first six weeks, right, initially, I mean, I've had this experience where initially I started feeling pretty punky right off the bat. When you said I had food addictions, I really didn't believe it. 
I didn't believe it until I felt really crappy after a couple of weeks. <laughs> and, you know, the food was already starting to taste better, but I was, I was feeling a little punky. You know, so I actually went on a detox to get the stuff out of my system quicker. What's a natural progression for somebody? They fight through feeling poorly as they start to detox, then they come out the other side. What's a good expectation for the average person? The average person feels ill when they change their diet and give up their toxic foods. They feel ill for the first two or three days. Mm-hmm. Day two, they feel the worst. They feel headachy and shaky. And then day three, they're getting a little bit emotionally upset. They have to, you know, so day two and three are hard. Mm. By day four and five, they're feeling a lot better. They almost feel normal by day four and five. Mm. And they're feeling better. So we want them to be able to work through that a little bit of, of feeling ill to get there. And, but once they flood their body with nutrients over the first two weeks, their cravings go away and they start to control their appetite much better. I'm saying right now that the secret to eating the right amount of calories is giving your body the right amount of nutrients. Mm. Your brain is not giving you constant signals to overeat. You can't fight in your brain all the time. But then where people fail is, you know, two or three weeks out and they start to get the negativity from family and friends and doctors or whoever it is, the thing, people arguing with them. And then the, the constant negativity in their own social environment could be where a person actually falls off the wagon. And it, so, you know, we really want people to make that commitment for the first six weeks. If they can get through that first six-week period through the feeling ill the first week, you know, they're going to drop weight. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are losing 20 pounds in the first six weeks. Wow. You know, I have a little booklet I sell on my website called 10 and 20. It's called 10 and 20 because people lose 10 pounds in the first 20 days. You know, the first month, they usually lose 15 pounds. They're feeling better. They're off their blood pressure medications now within the first few weeks. Just six weeks go by. Most people are off all their diabetic medication. Mm. Their cholesterol is super low. They don't need cholesterol drugs anymore. They're glowing. They're glowing with success. And now we know they can make a better decision of how to make a long-term decision for their life. When I was at St. Augustine Island there, I would say I interviewed over 100 of your attendees. And more than half of them had reversed major diseases. The one that was most common was diabetes, where people were coming who had, they were on diabetic medication, especially type 2 diabetes, and how quickly that all turned around. And when I shared this with a couple of friends of mine who were taking type 2 diabetic medication, they're like, it can't be the case, Brian. Otherwise, everyone would know that and everyone would be told that. It is kind of bizarre that this can happen over and over and over again. You've seen it, obviously, hundreds of times. Can we talk a little bit about... Weeks. We're talking yeah. about within six weeks. And by the way, you know I have a book called The End of Diabetes. Yes. I have six New York Times bestselling books. Right. One is called The End of Diabetes, and one is called The End of Heart Disease. Mm-hmm. And every diabetic in America should be reading The End of Diabetes. And every person on blood pressure medications and cholesterol drugs in America has to read The End of Heart Disease. I have my new book coming out, yep. you know, in a few weeks called Fast Food Genocide, and I just feel this book is going to permeate American society, mm. have a tremendous effect on our population, and I just had to write this book. But, you know, but we're talking here, this latest book, Fast Food Genocide, even though it's got great recipes, and my first book with such dramatic implications for all of society, it's not as much as an individual self-help book if you've got diabetes or heart disease. Mm-hmm. Those people I want to direct to those books, of course. So let's talk about the fast food genocide book right now. What would be the big hook on this? What would be what people will get away from getting a copy of this? Well, I think this book is so fascinating, they're not going to be able to put it down. They just won't be able to stop reading it. It's so interesting. It goes through the whole history of food in America. And, of course, it tells you the dangers of fast food Mm. and how it's taking over the brain so you can't make decisions anymore. It shows you how addictions occur and how food is designed to create addiction to it and what the problem stems from why people can't eat healthy and why all these people are eating unhealthy even though they know what's causing diabetes mm. and obesity and what's causing their diet and why they keep doing it. Right. You know, so it really gives you a deeper understanding of how this developed, a way out, 
how to undo that, and a, really a call to action for all of us in America to work together with compassion well, and goodwill for others and try to spread these healthy eating. And this is the manifesto of this book. It gives people who are in urban situations, in urban areas, and people who have been, you know, with poor access to food, a real way and show them the importance of taking care of their health and their family and what they can do and how we have to change things and all work together to have this happen. I just think this is a book that everybody's got to read. Yeah, I love the part about the history of how we got here, which is fascinating the history of the fast food industry, the history of how that all came about, and it's kind of a wild deal. And I go through some slaveries when African Americans were released from after the Civil War. They had more centenarians, more people living to 100. Yeah. They were pursuing education, doing well, and then they were driven out by Jim Crow laws and the white supremacist movement into northern cities. And by the end of World War One and the beginning of World War Two, we already had poor access to fresh produce, and that's when the problem started. Mm. So the idea that some people are inferior, they have higher rates of prostate cancer, or high rates of diabetes. Or it's not the case. It's all food. Mm. It's not about people being inferior. It's not about more drug use or more crime. No, it's not about that. There's more crime in whites when they're fed poorly. Yeah. But we see that it's the food that's causing the crime and the drugs and the bad thinking and the diseases. It's not genetic differences. These are environmental differences mm. based on negative social influences and negative food influences. Well, the book is out uh, October 17th. For all of you listening today, if you pre-order the book in the next seven days, Dr. Furman's going to do something pretty special for all of our listeners, and that is you're going to get a chance to get a free chapter of bonus content. And also, Joel, you're going to do a special Facebook Live for anyone who pre-orders the book, and that's going to be a fantastic experience for anyone who's never been to a Joel Furman seminar. They have a pen and paper ready. He's a fired-up New Yorker who talks a mile a minute, but the content is so rich and so fantastic. So, Joel, if they pre-order the book on Amazon, how do they get the free chapter and also the Facebook Live with you? They go to my website, drfurman.com slash FFG, which is, you know, stands for Fast Food Genocide, and they were able to put in the, their order number from Amazon, and the, immediately they'll get the chapter on the brain from the book and the opportunity to do the Facebook Live with me. Fantastic. This has made a big difference for me. I was on blood pressure medicine for seven years when I went to your conference. And I don't know that I've taken blood pressure medicine since. I'll have to look that up. you got some great stuff, and I'm not doing it perfectly. My wife is better than I am. I'm working at it hard. But I have learned to love the G-bomb salads and my smoothies in the morning and just found out why I eat what I eat. And it's been a, a life changer for me and my family, and especially for my kids, Joel. So I want to thank you for that. i got a few questions I want to ask you that are kind of off topic a little bit, but, you know, you're this super famous guy on PBS and all of these different programs. But there's five questions I ask every guest, and I want to ask you, so we'll get to know you a little bit better, okay? Sure. So, Joe, what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? I think the best piece of advice is the best thing you can do for your own personal happiness and self-reward is to give of yourself to other people. Mm. In other words, goodwill and sacrificing to help others keeps you mentally sane and satisfied with yourself as a person. Mm. You know, last week we had Scott Hamilton on, the Olympic figure skater, and a lot of people will be shocked to find out that you and your sister were, on a national level, pairs champions in the U.S. as, as ice skaters, right? I believe you were in the world championship, right? Yes, second in the United States in 1973. Mm -hmm. I was third in the world championship pairs in 1976. <laughs> I know Scott Hamilton... Obviously, I've lived in that circle of skaters you yeah. know, most of my young life, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. A lot of people wouldn't know that about the great Dr. Joel Furman, that he, uh, he had a life on ice. In fact, you had a heel injury, right? And that's kind of what led you to more and more uh, focus on nutrition? 
That's right. The heel injury, you know, kept me on, unable to compete in the 1976 Olympics. Mm. And it was very disappointing at the time, but I'd probably never be a doctor today and never have had such a wonderful career and all without that. So you never right. know, you know how it changes your direction. Sure, of your and that's great encouragement for anybody out there. You know, I always say a setback is a setup for a comeback, and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, God has different plans for us. Here's a question. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Hmm. You know, you always want to have more insight because hmm. it's such an art to be able to influence people in a positive fashion. Hmm. So it's always the ability to interact and really feel what a person's thinking mm. and how you could respond to have the best effect on them. You know, have more of that gift, yeah. the art of being able to give people what they need to have them facilitate to be the best self they can be. Nice. I think it's, a, it's definitely an art that can be studied as a science, but there's definitely an art involved with that. Sure, sure. More emotional intelligence, more empathy. Daniel Goleman is someone we've had as a past guest on our podcast and that was one of our favorites. He was a, a brilliant man, so that's great. Uh, what book has been most instrumental in your life? Uh, probably when I first started reading Herbert Shelton's book in the 1950s, mm. Superior Nutrition, from when my father was sick when I was young mm. and a teenager, and he was overweight and sickly, and I started reading Herbert Shelton's books to try to help him with his health. had an effect to get me started in this way of thinking in life, you know what I mean? Did your father's poor health... Was that one of the wounds that really led you to be so driven and focused towards helping people in their health? I think that his taking charge of his own health by learning more, and we learned together, mm. I learned with him. I think we both became excited about it together, and seeing him change his health for the better mm. certainly was a major factor in me pursuing a career in this. Yeah. Sure, yeah, profound. Well, that's why the passion is still there, because there's a number of people's dads out there you're helping every day, right? So powerful stuff. Right. Okay, I know you like to dance a little bit. What's, uh, what's your favorite jam, song, band? What's Joel Furman music? You put it in the car, and that's what gets you in the groove. What is it? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I like all different types of music. Pick one for me, or a band. I like Maroon 5, and oh, I, like, um, I like a lot of those people where they mix together different levels of you know, high to low, and they change around and show the different skills in their voices. A lot of beautiful music out there to enjoy. Nice. Nice. Maroon 5, I wouldn't have bet that one. All right, here's your last one. Uh, I know you're not a big TV watcher, but if there's a movie that you watch over and over again, what would that be? Uh, I don't watch movies over and over uh -huh. again, but I have seen August Rush a couple of times. Nice. I've seen Avatar twice, but uh, I can't think of too many. That's you know? good. Yep. You're too busy writing books and changing people's lives, mm -hmm. and nothing wrong with that. Well... You're doing a great thing for individuals, for communities, for culture, for folks who are just getting exposed to Joel Furman here today. This is the first time you've ever heard of him. Go to drfurman.com, F-U-H-R-M-A-N. There's a whole litany there. Brilliant stuff. There's six bestsellers sitting out there. I started with Eat to Live. That was brilliant. I'm very, very excited about your new book. I think that's going to hit a chord for a lot of people. And I think you're doing a great work. And the new book comes out next week. We're real excited. Get our hands on that and find out how to get back on the healthy side. And, and I'll be honest with you, even talking to you today, it's rededicating me to, okay, I got to get even cleaner. I got to get even better. I got to make sure those G-bombs are happening every day. And it's great stuff. And, you know, you can't hear this stuff often enough. You can't focus on it because we're having to make food choices several times a day. And so when we get sloppy, you know, you travel and you make poor choices or, or you go celebrate and you do this and that and whatever else. The next thing you know, you're, you're back on the trail. Good news is the human body is a remarkable thing, isn't it, doctor? It can turn around quick. It can get healthy quick. It can reverse all these diseases quick. We can lose weight quick. And uh, if we really want to, we can uh, eat to live, as you say. 
Right. This gives people tremendous hope, tremendous happiness. And Brian, I have to say, I loved your book. Thank you. It's one of my favorite books, actually. And I love the fact that you mix together such enthusiasm for people with goodwill for humanity in, in the way that people are doing their careers. But, and also, of course, thanks for having me on and being a supporter and for doing all the good work you do, too. You bet. I appreciate it. And yes, and thank you again for endorsing the book. It was a, a great favor. Uh, you're a wonderful guy. I wish you the best of success. I know our paths will cross again many times. Really, best of luck with the new book. Fast Food Genocide. I know it'll be a runaway bestseller, and I hope it'll help an awful lot of folks. And uh, for those of you who are listening today, I hope if you enjoyed this program, and maybe you got a friend who could use Dr. Furman's advice, why don't you share this show with them? It's an easy thing. It doesn't cost anything. We don't ask anything of our audience other than, hey, go tell your friends and share this show with them. Leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us know what you like and what you want to hear more of. And it helps us also promote the show. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can. So make sure you share this show with others. So as I finish here today, I leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 